The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Well, hey, how nice is this? Our first episode of The Winemakers. Woohoo! Yeah, no kidding. So, <laughs> cheers. What are we drinking today? We've got... Uh, Oh, a beautiful rosé, huh? Nice. For a hot day. And, and you're pouring wine out already, Sam? Jeez. We have a long way to go here. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Pacing myself. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. That's, that's one of the things I never do. So um, I want to go around the room and introduce everybody because, uh, you know, we're all different. And we're all involved in the wine business here in, in Sonoma. And uh, the the bedrock, the ground zero of modern winemaking. So, Sam Katuri, um, you have a long family heritage. Uh, you are related to the leading organic uh, grape grower in the country, if not the world. That's my dad, Your Phil Katuri. Phil yeah. Katuri, there you go. And you run Winery 16600. It is uh, uh, quintessentially a family affair. Um my dad grows all the grapes that we make, uh, all the grapes that uh, we make into wine. My brother is in the vineyards doing tractor work and development, and um, I'm out on the front lines selling it and talking about it and developing the brand and, and uh, all the marketing. And Well, nothing happens if you don't do your work, or if Phil doesn't do his right. work, or your brother doesn't do his work. Well, uh, you know, at the end of the day, team effort, isn't it? we can all pay each other, but some point we have to sell the wine so we can pay ourselves so. i'm in i'm in for that so bart hansen i just had a bottle of your uh, uh wonderful uh, dane sellers cab last night but you are the owner of uh dane sellers wines tell me a little bit about dane sellers how you got going what you grow and what you make uh so we started in 2007 when um our son dane was born and I uh, left my uh, perfectly good job at Benziger Family Winery <laughs> to be a stay-at-home dad and start a little wine label. Um, that lasted about six weeks until I started going back to work full-time uh, uh, or part-time with Lassiter Family Winery. Um, but Dane Cellars is, uh, we do about 500 cases a year. Uh, Chenin Blanc and Zinfandel, Cabernet, some Grenache, some Syrah. Whatever we might run into, whatever grape, every grapes harvest. you can find, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's a good deal. And a lot of your grapes are grown by Phil Cattori, right? Well, I, I can't I, I can't claim that, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to buy some grapes that were Phil farmed. That's the same thing, only different. Yeah, and so. and I've and I and I've <laughs> I've I've been able to work with a lot of grapes that Phil has grown over the past twenty plus years it makes a difference it, doesn't it It makes a huge difference i mean the quality of the grape is everything the fruit makes the wine the the adage is that you can make bad wine with good grapes but you can't make good wine with bad grapes oh that's right and you only get one chance per once, year once a year that's yep. right so Just once and sharing a glass with my friend brian casey who i've shared many a glass with how are you doing and you're a brand new sommelier aren't you i just recently, yeah, finally um, got that under my belt. But uh, officially, although officially. you've been selling wine on the floor for a lot years, so 
you're a real sommelier, and now you're a certified I have, sommelier. I have been acting as a sommelier for quite some time. You uh, play one on TV? I, 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 do, I do play one in the restaurant. Had played one in the restaurant, but uh, no, I'm just a... a do you wear your pin? I, I do not wear the pin. I think that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, I can understand why. <laughs> you know what? If I was a master, I might wear that thing around. But Just to impre- when, impress when, the chicks, is that the thing? Well, I'm married, so I'm not going to say that. Well, but no. <laughs> and frankly, any chicks who are impressed by your sommelier <laughs> pin, you don't really want to hang out with No, I think what it would do is you could probably up your sales. Your, your per bottle average, you know, if you were wearing that pin, yeah. might go up 100 bucks, 200 bucks, maybe. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Well, I've known all of you for some time, and we've uh, all done radio together, and so this is interesting doing the winemakers, because you guys are all part of the winemaking business. And so I wanted to go, you know, we've talked a little bit about your backgrounds now and 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 mine i'm a wine drinker i enjoy whatever the the most important part of all of this that's the because without people drinking the wine i'm not really sure what the rest of us are doing with our lives everybody asks me what my favorite wine is and i give them that straight answer whatever's in my glass so and it's our favorite kind of wine drinker it's a hot afternoon in sonoma california and nice nice and warm and we have had um we've, we've got we're really lucky to live in Sonoma. Um, coming back, have, having just been in France for a long time, down in the Rhone region, up in Burgundy, and last year over in um, Bordeaux, uh, it's interesting. We grow virtually everything here. Um, we're not like Napa. Napa's known for caps, pretty much. I mean, agreed? Yeah. And so let's take a trip around Sonoma County. I mean, you've got maps around here of Sonoma County, way up north to, to Carneros. And we grow the big seven. What you know, Chardonnays, a lot, a lot of Chardonnay, a lot of Pinot Noir, Cabernet, Sauvignon, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Does anybody still grow Merlot, Bart? I don't know. I don't know if there's any Merlot left. Uh, it got killed by the movie. Yeah, um, I think some people. Mike actually Anderson out of Napa does. So considering replanting one. some Merlot, I've I've heard. Uh, and then what else? Syrah. There's a lot of Syrah in Sonoma County. Beautiful stuff um, too. And that's in the big. That's in the the big seven. Big seven. What else? Did we miss Does one? Zinfandel fit Oh, in Zinfandel, yeah, yeah, Zinfandel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. kind of important around here. California's great. California's yeah, Zinfandel. Right. Oh. Born in Sonoma. Mm, yeah, yeah, sort of. Well, 1850 are the <laughs> oldest you, wines around If here, you right? believe Count Augustin Heresty's account of the history, which is mm, shaky at best. Uh, it's yeah, a nice story. It's a good story. Yeah, this is the birthplace of it all. But, uh, you know, Zinfandel traces its roots... Um, Actually, to nurseries in New York, and then to Croatia. For, yeah, that's where for, it first for came the from. Best right? of uh, you know Hungary, where where Harris is from. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all kind of goes back to to there, not you know France or Italy or Spain, which right. is you know sort right. of more traditional wine winemaking world. Well, they they're very segmented there, and and like in Napa, it's just interesting that Sonoma County has all these different varieties. And we're pretty damn blessed with the weather around here. It's been, however, you guys have all been in the field now. What's it like out there? I mean, you had it's wet still. <laughs> I mean, it had rain for how long? Uh, Literally. Well, we had an inch of rain last week. So yeah, probably got an. We probably did like an inch a week, going back to mid-November. Yeah, yeah. probably pretty easy to say that. Yeah, there's definitely times when we got a lot more than that, but. Certainly felt like it's been raining since Thanksgiving nonstop. I, I have a neighbor uh, that has a weather station over on the 
west side of the valley at about he's at about a thousand feet and he claims to have gotten 63 inches this year that sounds right that's what that's what we got on the east side of the valley and we usually get less than that so less than and i wonder what it is compared to last year because last year was the driest on record right uh two years ago was the driest on record last year was okay better but probably didn't hit 30 inches last year I doubt it. Uh, yeah, it, probably it, in the twenty-five range. It never started at all, really. Last year, right? Well, last year was supposed to be an El Nino, um, and you know there was some. It was all front-loaded. It was yeah. all around the holidays, right? right? Um, and and then it kind of stopped. You know, the spring was very dry, very early. Uh, just today, uh, up at Lassiter um, property, Lauren. Uh, who works for Phil Cateri's company, was up and we were looking at the vineyard. And she said, last year at this point, we were going through br- bloom. At really? Wow. Okay, so it's on this day, we're on, really late. And so we're quite quite late. Just no sun at all? Well, I, th- I mean, we've certainly had some sun of the past few weeks with rain intermittent, but it's been very cool. Right. And the ground has been, when the ground is cold and wet, the vines aren't going to be growing as much. So even if the sun is out, um, and the sun has been, you know, it's, Despite it all, we're in California. The sun has come out a lot in the last six months, but uh, when the ground is wet and cold, the vines aren't going to start growing, kind of no matter what the sun is doing. Well, now you've got uh, the next 10 days, and that's all the forecast I've seen. It's 90 degrees. 90 degrees and sunny. You're going to be able to go out and watch the vines grow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. How how much? Especially with how watered they are. Per day, you know. It's uh, pretty interesting. No, we'll we'll be in, literally, we'll be in inch a day kind of growth. Uh, on those shoots in the next for the next month. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. And uh, so they're what, vines. Well, that's right. They're vines. They're, you and know, they just like the, they grew, ivy in the Midwest, uh-huh. or you know, they grow. They keep growing. Like at Wrigley Field. Yeah, exactly. Wrigley Field. Uh, yeah, the Wrigley Field ivy's starting to turn green by this time of year, right? Yeah, it is. Only you have to pay more this year to see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you finally win a World Series. Yeah. yeah. So hey, um, speaking of uh, the Warriors, start uh, playing. Uh, round what? two, round two tonight tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow night. night. Yeah. yeah, so let's go Dubs. Contact all your uh, friends in Salt Lake City and see if anyone will take that. Put, <laughs> trade wine. Bet put, for wine. jinx on the jazz. But then you have to figure out how to get the wine to Utah <laughs> right. if you lose the bet. So. <laughs> so what do they grow in Utah that we want to trade for? Honey. Honey. They honey. Good, good honey. Uh, there's a great, um, there's a great like uh, cured meat producer in Salt Lake City, Crim- okay. Criminelli. Hmm. They're based out of Salt Lake. There's some there's some food things happening. Hey, there's there's and some great like farms, uh, you know. All right, we'll it's get not some honey and mu- some cured meat. Some that's honey a, and some prosciutto. Babe, don't don't yeah. don't, don't, I, don't I, do I, any not that I not, not that I think we're gonna have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no, the, we're not <laughs> we're not sending any wine to Utah. Well, despite the lack of rain, how did last year's harvest turn out, Bart? Oh, we're very happy with last year's harvest. I mean, um, the vines. Uh, produced the amount of fruit that they could for the given year. It wasn't a big crop, but it was a healthy crop. You know, at Lasseter, of course, we the fruit always comes in looking beautiful because it's so taken care of in the vineyard. Otherwise, the amount of time that uh, Phil's crews spend out there um, making sure that what we get is the highest quality. So I'm a little bit, you know, jaded in that. It always looks perfect. You are lucky. We are lucky. So, because um, I've worked at larger wineries where you you know see these very large uh, gondolas just dump grapes in and you can't pull out all the stuff that you want to get out of it. So, um, 
<laughs> no, I can't believe that really happens. Come on. <laughs> Tell me no. So you make 500 cases a year, right? I do. Um, how many are sold at retail? I mean, I, I, it seems like I buy... I don't know, 10 cases a year. It's the same, same with Sam, you know? I mean, we're, um, uh, we're about 80% uh, retail between restaurants and stores. Yeah. I only do about 20% of my total sales through my website, which I need to change. Um, yeah, well, everybody wants to that. flip that. I mean, that's yeah. the goal would be to have the opposite yeah. ratio, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but without a tasting room, gain sellers in Sonoma, California, right? And they can look it up, D A N E. Right. You know. Well, you know what? I mean, I, hey, I, I have to to say, I just today had a guy call me from Chicago, had been staying at uh, MacArthur Place, uh, had dinner at Saddles, had a bottle of Cab. And called this morning and ordered a case of cap. Nice. And she's going to join the wine club. There that's you how go. It so you do that's it. how it works. Yeah. How about your numbers, Sam? Club-wise, retail? Uh, well, since we've opened the tasting room, starting to turn the trend in the direction that we want, which is about 80% club, you know, direct, and 20% retail, um, you know, I'm probably getting pretty close to there. Uh, what did I do in 16? And by the way, the probably like 40, 60. Is this the ultimate... Tasting house or what? It's an 1880s, 1897, yeah, home that was yeah. that was moved here in Sonoma. Yeah, it was moved about five blocks down the street. Little old place that is filled with baseball memorabilia from the Giants and your buddy Tim Flannery, along with Bob Weir singing the national anthem. A lot of Grateful Dead stuff all over. I know because you're a big Deadhead, and so is your dad. Well, you know when when we first started doing 16600, and uh, you know production was even less than what Dane's doing, what Dane Sellers does. Um, you know, when somebody would get a hold of me and wanted to do a tasting, I'd take them up to my parents' house because I had really no other place to do it. And, you know, to be sitting around the dining room table or if it was a nice day like today, would be out on the back deck. And it occurred to me that, you know, nowhere in North America anyway, maybe in France that could happen, but, you know, we'd have people who would have a bottle at Sante and... You know, and Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, they were sitting at my dad's dining room table talking grapes in the house I grew up in. Um, so when we went to open a tasting room, I, I, you know, totally impossible to replicate that exactly. But I wanted to kind of capture some of that spirit. It, it is and, because and it's it's way up on the mountain. Yeah, and no, it's that, back in the woods. It's and on it's, the in the woods on the top of the hill with the view and the whole deal, but. Uh, you know, we're just still sitting around a dining room then, table. Yeah. So. <laughs> but this house has, the tasting house has so much personality. And, you know, there's a lot fancy, a lot of fancy tasting rooms uh, in the valley and a lot of really nice, comfortable ones. And this is amongst the most comfortable. You know, honestly, I hear from There's people in the community that, that tell me, and they don't know that I know you, that talk about the tasting experience here. And they say, what a, what a great tasting I had at 16600. Um, and then I say, oh, yeah, you know, I've been there before. <laughs> they, I know those guys. Yeah. They're all right. I've been there once <laughs> in a while. So Yeah. Well, you know, and you've had vinyl Sundays. Mm -hmm. When you started that, you know, spinning vinyl LPs here. Now you, So you've had Tim Flannery, who, who played for the Padres, and right. also has three uh, rings from the Giants. Uh, so uh, he was here. Jeff Pearson mm -hmm. from Further and Box Set. Uh, also was a DJ. I got to do it one day. You, the, you the famous John Myers. These are some major parties you're throwing here. This is great. So it's got. I like be to really throw good parties. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's something yes, that I, I, I inherited from my parents. I practiced in college, and uh, you know, now that I do it professionally, um, it, you know, 
the tasting room, it should be educational. Obviously, it's my number one source of revenue for the winery. But um, it should be a place that's, uh, that's comfortable, uh, and I don't want it to be any more pretentious than I am. Um, which isn't very. Which is no. hopefully not very much. No. Uh, and, and I want it to be fun. You know, it, all of those things kind of need to fall in place um, to make a, you know, a memorable wine experience. Um, you know, it's not just about drinking wine and joining a club. It should be a place where, you, you know, you want to come back and hang out and... Um, and experience sort of a little bit of the lifestyle of the winery and not just the wine. So hopefully that's what, uh, that's what we're doing here. And, you know, if somebody for some reason hired me to open up their tasting room, I would try and do the same thing there. So, well, there are, as Bart said, uh, some pretty stiff tasting rooms. And then there are those, you know, you stand five deep at a bar trying to get a little shot of something. You kind of forget what you had looking at a list that they're serving that day. It's like, wow. Can I really, can I, by the way, try this but back to back? That's the way it used to be. And, you know. It still is in a lot of places. Yeah. And, and, but it was manageable. And now there's just so many visitors. Thank goodness. Right. It's, you know, that model just doesn't work as well anymore. Was it the advent of the tour bus or the limo? No. Wine's cool now. Yeah. Wine wasn't been cool. cool. No, it wasn't. It wasn't cool for the longest time. When I got in the business, when I was 20 years old, None of my friends drunk wine. It, it, you know, I mean, it just wasn't that cool. And it certainly wasn't featured in, on TV, in commercials. In, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a, uh, an asthma control uh, medicine, and the guy was a winemaker and had a winery. You know, I mean, it's changed. The perception has changed. Am I yeah. wrong? No, no. I mean, I think that um, the visiting wine country has become about more than just buying a bunch of Cabernet and bringing it home with you. Um, it's, it's experience driven. It is. Um, and it's, it's food driven. It's experience right. driven. It's, um, you know, it's, it's outdoor driven. Well, right? there's $15 billion worth of, of traffic, wine, food, and lodging in Sonoma Just County alone. You know, and Brian, you're on the other end of it. You're the one who's uh, serving everybody. I see him come every night, and and I actually used to work for the Benziger family in their tasting room. Um, Both of you guys did at mm-hmm. the uh, close think, to the I same time. We worked we, we at the same work, time. Yeah, we did work at the same time. <laughs> yeah, we were God, doing different things, but um, it was it, and it was one of those places where on the weekends you did have people two, three deep, and yeah. everyone just trying to get a splash and. Oh yeah, to, it's tough trying to educate people while you you know taking care of ten people at a time. And this is a much different experience. I mean, sit, sitting down makes a big difference when trying wine. There, just that one simple thing of sitting down and tasting wine as opposed to standing up. Uh, and we talked about you know what we have around Sonoma County. I mean, there's so many different types to try too. I mean, and there are the big fancy uh, places you know that throw the weddings and and that they're event driven, right. not wine driven. You guys are wine driven. Right. Look, the, uh, what I always say is you can't hurry wine, right? It takes us a year to grow it, and then it's in barrel for six months, 18 months, two years, in bottle for another year or two before it hits the market. Um, why rush the tasting experience? Yeah. Why, you know? And then, and then people taste wine, and they like it, and they go home, and it doesn't taste the same. Well, it's because you're not standing in a bar with a bunch of people anymore. You're like sitting down and thinking about it. Um, and you know, the last thing that I, I would ever want is somebody to buy a bottle of wine here and take it home and it doesn't taste the same. They don't like it anymore because 
whatever the you know environmental conditions Experience. have changed yeah. to the point where the wine isn't good anymore. And, and so if you sit down, have time to you know spend an hour with five or six wines, um, you know really kind of get to know them. And whether or not they're listening to the spiel and you know digging the education doesn't really matter. What matters is they're sitting down, letting the wine change in the glass. Um, right, right. And, you know, take it home and have that same experience. Yeah, I never understood three minutes and two ounces of, <laughs> of, of judging a wine based on that. Never made any sense to me. And, and when I was buying wine for a restaurant, I would say that to people. Is, you know, don't come in and just pour me a little splash of wine. I, I can't decide whether that wine is, is good or great. Give me the bottle. And some people were willing to do that and some people aren't. Um, but the ones that were, then you could take it home. You open it up. You taste it when it's first open, you taste it halfway through, you taste it at the end, you have it with food, then you really get to know the wine. Um, just trying two ounces, which is what you do in most tasting rooms, just uh, doesn't really make much sense to me. I stopped by Steve Laws at McLaren the other day, uh, tasted three different Syrahs, um, took one home, and had, uh, we had a little before, uh, before dinner, I think I had an open bottle of yours, um, uh, Bart, and then we had that with the dinner, and then we went out on the front porch right. and finished it. There it was go. a third of the bottle left, at least, and it tasted so nice sitting yeah. out on the deck. Beautiful evening, having a great time. Um, yeah, it was uh, so I understand it, it changes, wow. and I can understand how you know the restaurant experience also changes it. I mean, you've been with uh, several, and the experience has got to be pretty intimidating at some of these restaurants with sommeliers and you know I, I don't know that you've never intimidated well maybe I should back up when I first met you I was pretty intimidated by your style and you know it's just what, 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 well, what's no, my style what because you? <laughs> you know a lot about wine and I didn't but you don't let on that you know a lot about and wine. I think that that is it's I think a lot of people have that Hmm. Um, it's not. Smile, it's not you, man. It's me, it's me, and it's 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 customers in general. I think that it does come off that people are a little afraid of tasting good wine at a hundred bucks a bottle. You know what, though? I think that's that's something. There's something to be said for the wine industry in general. That, and I heard some some psalms talking about this. That it was one word to describe the wine industry uh, for customers is intimidating, and I. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. There's there's the names, it's there's our the fault. regions, there's there's <laughs> it's true, there's all these things. Are you serious? Um, totally well, totally serious. It's our fault. Well, okay. Well, so I, wait, let's go why, back a little why bit. Why was I into okay, okay, go ahead. Let, let me just uh, this is something that I you know was taught and learned is that when the, when the California wine industry started to establish itself as it was something to compete with with uh, France, they they wanted things to make it stuffy. Wine was only for special occasions. Wine was something that was meant to be collected and, and, and brought out only at certain times. Wine was never in the United States, to my knowledge, except maybe in small communities, just an everyday product. The poor immigrant population. Correct. It's Italians. Right. Italians. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's who drank wine every day. That's who drank yeah. wine every day. My relatives. The, yeah. <laughs> and my relatives also. So yeah. that was the type of family that I grew up in, that we grew up in. But the rest of the world wasn't that way. Not to mention, we're in Sonoma, so we're in Mecca. We are. Right? Yeah. Everything on the other side of the Sierras, they don't care about this. They 
don't really they buy wine at the grocery store because the label's nice and they go home and drink it but at least they're drinking wine so yeah i mean uh, in the advertising game in chicago i mean that was the vodka on the rocks kind of guy down at the right. down at the drake hotel in the cape cod room and that was you know that was cool for that end but we would buy wine at, at uh, sam's or binney's uh, both of you know big big, big places in chicago very intimidated there too it was like well, geez, you know, I mean, what the hell do I buy? What, what's good? I don't know the difference on but, this. And there you just hit on it, though, is what's good? And I think that's the more important question to ask is, do you like it or do you not like it? Right. Forget. But, but good, I wanted to let Sam go back to what he was going to say about um, it being our fault. No, I mean, I, I think that you hit on it. Um, it's the, the stuffiness, the pretension, the... Um, it's it's such a the world of wine when you're in it as deep as we are is it's vast there's hundreds of varieties there's 50 different ways of growing it and making it there's you know truly you know six continents unless they're doing something in antarctica i don't know about it there's six (laughs) continents uh where wine is grown you know there's a winery in in all 50 states in in the united states there's so much knowledge that you can have that um people are are intimidated when they don't have that and um the and we just talked about it the most important piece of wine knowledge that anybody can have is what whether they like it or not if you like a wine then that's important and if you don't like it that's really important um but we we often and you know it's it's kind of inherent because we're so deep in it we often get caught up in all of the the minutiae and the nuance and um, without uh, an accessible way of, of presenting that to the public, it's really intimidating. The, all this, all this crap that we know about wine right. can intimidate people. Right. Um, and it, I personally take it as a goal of trying. You know, there's always like demystifying wine. I, I just try and like present uh, a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of information in a in a palatable way. And you know, alongside a glass of wine that's delicious. And if you can do that and just kind of slowly erode at those, um, you know, those walls, break down the walls, that, don't what, no walls. That's why I get so excited when someone calls make love, not walls and, or just goes online <laughs> and, and buys a bottle of wine. The first thing I want to know is where did you, why, why did you buy my wine? Where did you hear about it? And, yeah. you know, and to have them like it just because where they were having it, not me making a sales pitch to him. That's pretty satisfying. That, also. That's got to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, really. And Brian, on the other hand, you're the one who demystified it for me. You served me all these different wines. Taste this. Try this. Try this. Try this. And I learned that there's more than Zin, <laughs> and I more than Cap. And uh, well, and you have a genuine interest, and I think that's all it takes. Is when I have someone in front of me that has a genuine interest, I don't care if they know a little or a lot about wine, if they're interested in wine, I love sharing that experience. And, and you're one of those people. You want to try stuff that's new. Um, Not even new. I mean, uh, you came over to the house the other night and brought 10 different wines. You said none cost more than five bucks a bottle. It was hysterical. Because <laughs> you're you going to tell Spanish a little dirty Grenache. secret here right now. <laughs> there is a place that you can go buy wine um, and not spend a lot of money. And... Um, bring not, them home. Not sixteen six hundred. You have to spend lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. No, no, no. not really. But but I love I, you know I love those kind of wines. I love eight dollar bottles of wine. Um, 
and I used to have to go to Cost Plus and get them from Spain, France, Italy, you know, those little little wines. Sonoma, a little bit uh, tougher job to get those um, eight or ten dollar wines. Um, but but I, I love value oriented wines. That is one of my favorite. Opened things. my eyes, man. It really yeah. did. Well, that's the whole reason for this show. The winemakers is we're demystifying wine. We're not going to be snotty. We're not a sommelier show, and we're talking about what we're drinking. And you know, I mean, we're just having bedrock rosé this afternoon. And Ode to Lulu. This is uh, Morgan's grandmother was Lulu, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so that's why he made the rosé for her. Morgan. Morgan. Morgan Peterson, who is uh, the the crown prince of. Zinfandel, if his dad was the king. Um, his dad started Ravenswood Winery. Joel ah, Peterson. that's who you're yeah, talking about, yeah. Joel Peterson. No and wimpy Ravens, wines. No wimpy wines. Yeah. And, uh, so Morgan has started this label. Uh, so that's his son? No? Ten, yeah, it's his son. Maybe. So he's doing one called Once and Future? Right. That's also? Joel's new project. Okay. That's uh, kind of along the same lines, but, but Morgan is, you know, taking that kind of model and it's giant. He does... Um, I think they do like 30 different single vineyard wines all over California. Focus on. And that's a wine you can on, get nationwide. Absolutely. This yes. is absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. totally in national distribution. Um, they focus on old vines, a lot of Zinfandel. Um, and he's doing a great job. And, and definitely somebody who, um, if you want to talk about demystifying wine, uh, he's made it really accessible that, like, here's old vines, here's single vineyard wines. His wines, you know, are reasonably priced um and and totally available around the country you know i'm good friends with his his partner and, and head sales guy this guy named chris cottrell and if you follow chris on instagram under t wire uh he's t under t as in the letter wire under okay. two. his his personal label that he started with bedrock is called under the wire it's uh this amazing single vineyard grower sparkling wine nice including, including zinfandel which made joel just about uh can i say shit a brick on uh, yeah you uh, can okay, good uh-huh. yeah joel should have brick because it was bedrock fruit it, right was, it was bedrock fruit and they picked it at like 18 yeah uh and made amazing sparkling you know it's champagne they made great bubbles out of it um so yeah under under the wire and he's you know chris is in a different city in the country every week he's been in Birmingham, Alabama, Charleston, he was just in Houston. And Morgan's Cleveland. in a different vineyard every day. Right. Um, yeah, that sounds like a lot of driving. Yeah. He drives a lot. Yeah. He puts a lot of miles on yeah. that truck going to all over the, all over the and state. And that's a good thing. That's uh, what the vine's but, like, but You know man. what he does, what I really love, is he's saving vineyards. Right, uh, right. Th- there's vineyards out there that people would, if, if they got their hands on them, would rip the vines out and plant Chardonnay, but he's, he's stopping that, so... Uh, yeah, no. That's it, off. It's uh, if it wasn't for Bedrock, there would be a lot of vineyards that just weren't economically feasible to right. keep alive. Right. Um, and the fact that he goes in and and buys the grapes, or in m- many cases leases the vineyards, um, and kind of takes that burden off the property owners and says, "Yeah, I want, I want your half a ton of the acre." Half a ton, exactly. Carignan Sinso blend right. because that's it's going to yeah. be great for what I'm doing. <laughs> right. You know, you can't you can't sell it to anybody else, and it doesn't really make economic sense to farm it if that's what your goal is. Um, but you know, for for Morgan's program, it works perfectly. So the, the and through that, he's created with uh, Tegan Pasalacqua, the uh, Historical Vineyard Society, and they're really you know working hard to identify and preserve you know California's vineyard heritage because when we talk about you know, modern California, it's Cabernet and Pinot Noir and 
trellises and you know high density super efficient vineyards um and then when you look at you know this 100 years ago all it's kinds of different vineyards out there right it's amazing right. i just saw i've read an article about going back to horses you know and we we had somebody on i think it was jay ricard from up I, up you know what? I think I know where you're going. I love this story. The story about yeah. the, the vines right. being so low and grown so low. Well, why? Well, that's where the reins were from the horses. As you walked the horse next row over, they had you had to have the reins. So they told to. me this story. I, I bought the wine for the girl and the fig, and he said, he said, yeah, we had these really low vines. And I said, why? He said, because of the reins. And I thought, wow. That's weird. It doesn't that, rain that, that much in dry creek. Right. Right. Like, why would you want the vines closer to the ground if the if the ground's really wet? And he said, No, no, no. The rain's on the horse because we had to. E. You had to. You had to have the horse on this row, and then you were on this row. And so next, had yeah, you had one over. Yeah. Right. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. Interesting <laughs> story, and you know, uh, there's some interesting vineyards around here. There's some pretty steep properties. Yeah. I mean, Moon Mountain. Yeah. That kind of pushes the envelope of what you can really do. You know, um, is, is it, are all those safe to farm? <laughs> um, I mean, it definitely takes a different degree of farming. Um, it's more expensive. It's, um, you know, you have tractor work and very, you know, you have smaller gauge tractors, experienced drivers. You know, there's, it's a place where, you know, those mountain vineyards, are never going to be hand, you know, mechanically harvested or mechanically pruned because you just can't drive. No, the you equipment. can't do it. Just can't do it. But um, it, but it makes amazing wine too. Right. So there, it's worth the it's worth all the work and worth the cost. What are they doing with those grapes, Bart? That I see growing in the Central Valley, coming back from Carmel. The last Fourth of July, it's 106 degrees outside, and they're spraying water in the air too water the plants and it, it's just evaporating before it even well hits. it is and but so it's what, but it's actually cooling down the vineyard and 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 um the first time i heard this was a gentleman who passed away alan york who was a biodynamic consultant and he used to talk about up in um at uh uh the fetzer family vineyard that they used to spray overhead um, on very hot days and you'd come out dry and it actually does drive down the temperature and at Lassiter with Phil's um, ideas we're trying the same thing and it does cool down the temperature in the vineyard on those days so, I, I don't think that's making high quality grapes for what you're talking about in the Central Valley no, that's what I wondered where was that going that wine oh know, well, that's that, probably going to Ernest and Julio yeah. or to Monterey Wine Company or Fred Franzia I mean, it has its place, you know, it's, it's the, trust me, they're not growing two tons of the acre on it. They're growing 12 tons of the acre and, um, really you know, that and, much and, difference. Yeah. And they're Jeez. paying very little for it. <laughs> wow. Well, right, okay. you get 12 tons of the acre and it costs $500 a ton and or less. or less. That's your $5 bottle. That's your $5, yeah, $5 bottle. That's your $5 bottle. And then yeah. you have, you know take you get you're stoked if you get two tons of the acre at cayman and uh he sells those grapes for ten thousand dollars a ton and you know it barely breaks even on his farming costs and and, and then yeah. the other thing is is that you know fred fred franzia said one time with the amount of the distance their vineyard rows are that they save money on uh tires because they don't have to turn the tractor as much and in the amount of farming that they're doing, that helps with the bottom Every line. Every inch, yeah. Right? 
I guess it's everything that helps the bottom line, but man, that's stretching it really. Saving on the tires in the dirt. I mean, it just doesn't. Make that's sense. how <laughs> makes sense. It's the economics of that. You know under $10 bottle wine, well, which is, and that's right. which is and the lion's share of the wine that's out there right. is, you know, and on the supermarket under $10. Bart and I were recently at the San Francisco Chronicle wine competition where Bart took, uh, what'd you take? Double gold for the Grenache. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. So, I was lucky Grenache. enough to go help. That's right. I Phil was lucky farmed. enough to go yeah. help Hashtag him pour. Phil and, uh, Bart said, you should go try those wines over there at the, at that table. So I said, okay, cool. I went over there and I, they had the Charles Shaw, Pinot Grigio and I tried it and was talking to the guy and I said how many cases of this did you make and I, I thought he was kidding one he, million no he said 22 million cases Dr. Evil and I thought how how is that possible like where do you I've yeah, never I mean, seen a vineyard that you can where make do you store 22 that? million it's probably all the Pinot Grigio it's everything Valley. it's everything yeah yeah, and then you know, twenty five percent something else. Thompson Seedless, yeah. or you know, I mean, yeah, right, yeah. right. Well, cool. Hey guys, uh, thanks. This has been the first episode of the Winemakers, and it's been perfect. With just barely scratching the surface. Uh, we thing. are. We're gonna we go so deep. Absolutely, and we will be. We'll be doing it every week. And uh, so, thank you, Sam Katuri from Winery sixteen six hundred, and Bart Hansen from Dane Cellars D A N E, and Brian Casey, my favorite. Uh, Smalley and good buddy drinking pal. That's so, right. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening, everybody. This is John Myers, and we will see you next week. So, keep listening to the winemakers. Thanks. Keep drinking wine. Yeah. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you.